I noticed that in the course of this service, there were a few places where Cody would say the same thing, I presume, more or less every week. And probably you all would say some of those same responses every week and do some of the same things. Now, for how many of you was that weird when you first heard it, when Cody first introduced that? Did that seem a bit strange? Uh, some folks might say it smells a little Catholic. But that's what you call liturgy. And when we get to <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer, we get this little bit of liturgy. And Jesus says, here's how you should do it. And he means for us to do it that way. Uh, and every day and every week and every hour, you're going to find somebody who shows up and says, listen, I got a secret. Um, I know the better way to pray. I know the best way to pray. Here's a secret word. Here's a better way to do it. And I'm not saying there's not folks who are gifted in prayer. Uh, I am saying there's no secret beyond the one Jesus gave us. There's no better way of praying. There's no secret key that's going to unlock some door that Jesus didn't provide for us, but this gentleman or this woman shows up and says they got it. Uh, he gives us this liturgy because we do not know how to pray. And if you think about it, that makes sense, right? Uh, we're saying the God of the universe, creator of all, holy other, holy, holy, we mean to go start talking to and tell him what we want, what we're thinking about. And that's ridiculous. Who are we to tell the God of the universe what's what? Uh, we can do this only because his son showed us how. Uh, and so we should pay attention to how he showed us how and what he said to do about it. He begins, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. So we come to the Father because we come with the Son. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Uh, let's keep going. Forgive us our debts, as we ourselves have forgiven our debts. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, so far, it feels like a nice spiritual prayer. At least we, we said, yeah, I, I believe all that. That sounds good. But then there's this little bit at the end. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive you for your sins. And that's where it stops being a nice, sweet little prayer. And we say, what? That's not the way that we've been taught to think about God and how things go. Um, that seems a little bit works-based. That seems a little bit like we have more responsibility than we've been taught we have. That if we don't do something, God's not going to do something. The last little bit there, what that does is tells us that everything up until then, we've probably been too optimistic about ourselves. Because the way it works is not works-based. As if we don't do this, God's going to stop being gracious with us. Because God's grace begins and ends everything. Mercy precedes everything, one theologian said. What that tells us is, is that somehow we've gotten out of the stream of it. That we're in this sort of flow of things that begins with, Give us this day our daily bread. And if we understand that, then we're going to understand and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And if we understand that, then when we get to the end and it says, you need to forgive folks because if you don't forgive folks, you're not going to be forgiven, that would seem like the most natural thing in the world. But because the stuff up before, we've gone happily past it without really giving ourselves to it, we get to the end and we say, what? The point is, we, 
are we in this stream that leads to forgiving in such a way that that makes perfect sense? Or are we somehow out of the stream where by the end of it we get to that and we say, uh-uh, that's not what they said on TV. So let's go through and see if we can find ourselves in the stream that, of prayer that Christ provides us. Give us today our daily bread. And I got a question for you. If this prayer, if this prayer were prayed by the culture that we reside in, what would they be praying? What would we be praying? If it were invented in 2020 America, give us this day our daily bread. What would we, what would we be praying? Give me an overabundance. Give me lots. Maybe the lottery, if you're feeling like it, God. So I don't have to worry about bread anymore, at least on a daily basis. Uh, we might just skip it and say, thank you, God, that you made me strong. And you gave me a good job so that I can provide for my own needs. Uh, we're not taught to think about daily bread. Uh, bread being the most basic substance whereby we survive with. Bread being, at that time, the equivalent with a dollar is just cash. In a barter economy, bread is money. Um, but if you got no money, you got no bread. Uh, we still, you know, we still use the language, right? Bread. Uh, it is the basic means whereby we survive. And you're probably right that it would be my daily breath. My daily, this is the most basic thing that I need to get by today. Um, but we're not praying for our most daily thing to get by today, usually. Usually, we've lost sight of that. We're praying for cake. And we're praying for a little bit extra. And we're praying so we have enough, a big storehouse of stuff, so we don't have to worry about daily bread. I'm going to go through this a little bit and talk about some of the words here. It says, give us today our daily bread. We need to remember that because we've been taught to think that we earn our daily bread. And uh, the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer he says, it's true that work is commanded, but the bread is God's free and gracious gift. We cannot simply take it for granted that our own work provides us with bread. Rather, this is God's order of grace. So he's saying work for it. You're supposed to work. Nobody says you have permission not to. In fact, in Thessalonians, Paul says, those who don't work don't eat. But he's saying, you didn't, don't, don't, don't suppose you earned it. Don't suppose that by virtue of you working, you earned every living thing every breath you got. Think about, and this, I mean, I don't know how to get us out of this, but we think of ourselves as good, hard-working earners. But let me ask you this, at what point did you start working? 13, 14, 18? And we don't pay attention to what happened before that. If you are sitting here, it's because somebody, no matter how horrible your parents might have been, no matter how horrible those folks brought you up, and I hope they didn't, but maybe. Here you sit breathing. Somebody, human beings have the longest period of sort of being vulnerable, where if you're left to yourself, you die. And here you sit able to communicate, able to function in society, able to talk with folks, living and breathing because somebody didn't let you die. Um, somebody made sure you didn't go walking towards the deep end of the pool. I have seen folks, I know folks, who've been sat in their crib in orphanages for five years. And those folks don't have some basic skills that we take for granted. 
I've known folks, when we talk about, we kind of glory in this, well, I kind of fended for myself as a kid. I've known folks who fended for themselves as a kid, who didn't just go foraging through their parents' and their grandparents' cabinet whenever they felt like it, who fought their brothers and sisters for the bit of bread that there was, and who went out and had to steal it if they wanted to get more. I've known those folks. And we take for granted what that does to us, that we could count on having some bread in the cupboard. Um, some of these basic things, if we don't get it, we, we become, yeah, we take for granted. These are things absolutely given to us. We have no right to, we, earn, we did not earn it. Um, I know we work hard, but I don't suppose that we imagine, we're, we're not so prideful to suppose that we work harder than the folks in Borneo working in the fields, and yet we have a higher standard of living. It reminds me, uh, I was at the airport, and I really do fr get frustrated with, with, with some of those towel dispensers. Now, in my experience, those old ones, they work just fine. You push the thing down, out comes the paper. And the same with faucets. It's a fairly basic thing. You turn on the faucet, and water comes out. Uh, but they've made things better. I say better, better. Uh, whereby now, you just wave your hand around such things, and in theory, they come on. There's a comedian who said they created these things so that you could all feel like bad magicians when you go to the bathroom. So that you can walk up and sort of... And for me, I don't know if it's like you, I go to three different faucets, two different paper towel dispensers, and I'm reaching over to my friend's soap dispenser over here just to get a little bit of that. Uh, but this is what we do. We walk up to that fountain. We spray this, we do a little magic trick, that one doesn't work, we do another magic trick, that one doesn't work. And then finally a little water comes out and we say, look what I did. And that's about, I'm not saying we're not working, we're doing something. But that's what our work is, for God's provision. Uh, we see a little water come out and we say, look what I did. And we don't pay attention to the whole infrastructure and the whole system and the whole provision of water in the first place that made that possible. And we're like little children, waving our hands in front of a faucet saying, look what I did, I earned this. Um, when in fact it's God who gives us our daily bread. There's a theologian, uh, last name Balthazar, if I can find it. He says, only the Christian religion, which in its essence is communicated by the eternal child of God, that's Jesus, keeps alive in its believers the lifelong awareness of their being children, and therefore of having to ask and give thanks for things. And when we lose that, we step out of the stream, right? When we lose that reality that we um, need to ask and give thanks to our Heavenly Father, we are no longer residing in the stream of God's grace. Give us today our daily bread. How do you suppose, if you imagine, do you see Jesus standing up there with his eyes closed? And he said, listen, here's how you should pray. I want every eye closed. I want every head bowed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I can't be looking in his own heart, because that's where God lives, in our hearts. Uh, I don't suppose so. I suppose he had his eyes open. I suppose he was looking out at God and the world he created. I suppose he was looking out at his brothers and sisters and followers. And he said, our Father hallowed be your name. Give us today our daily bread. 
And we forget this because we, being more spiritual than Jesus, know that God lives in our heart and know that he wants us to look down deep where God is as opposed to out of this world that God created. But God, being a little bit less spiritual than us, said, I want my will to be done not just in heaven and not just in your heart, but on earth as it is in heaven. And so with his eyes open, I suspect that he, and we know in early church, it's, they talk about it. They say, when you pray, these are the early church fathers, lift your, lift your hands towards the heavens, open your eyes toward God and others, and pray like this. And that's how they prayed in church, their eyes wide open. There's somebody who says, you know, when Jesus, when we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to ask you into my life. That Jesus says, I'd love to come. Can my brothers and sisters come with me? There's somebody else that says, if we, if we mean to join the kingdom of God, we go together or not at all. That we don't get to do this on our own. And in fact, if you try to do it on your own, it's not going to work and it's not going to make sense. These things are impossible to do on our own. This is a prayer impossible to pray on our own. And what I mean to say is that we are as clueless as they are about how dependent we are on God. Um, but they know how to ask, and they know where it came from, and so they could teach us something in that respect. This is a community prayer. This is a prayer for those who say, I want to be part of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and in that community, some people are given more than enough, and some people are given just enough, and some people aren't given enough. And that's how it is. That's the fact. We've been praying this prayer for 2,000 years, and that's just the fact of what church is. Some have more than enough, some have just enough, and some don't have enough. But in the church, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. Now you might say, well, that sounds like communism. I don't know. That's what Jesus says. That's what Paul says. That's what the Old Testament's filled with. Uh, they were promised prosperity. They were promised a sufficiency in the Old Testament. And they got that if and only if folks shared the way they were supposed to share. If and only if every Sabbath year, every seven years, they forgave debts. That's how it works. Um, and we taste this in prayer. And it's not, it's not socialism. It's not communism. It's, it's, it's the community of God where there is a sufficiency when we recognize I have enough with my daily bread and I can share now. And it's a beautiful thing when we come to share prayer and somebody says, I need, I don't have enough for next week's rent. Or my car broke down. And lo and behold, we happen to have an extra car in the driveway. And we can say, brother, sister, guess what? God already provided the answer to your prayer. He already gave it to me. And now I can pass it on to you. Because I got two. Me and my wife only use the two. Why don't you use this for the week? This is not a new thing in Scripture. Uh, this is just the warp and woof of how it goes from the beginning to the end. That in the family of God, there's a sufficiency. Um, not that there being inequality, as Paul says. Not that anybody's hard-pressed and somebody else 
but that there'd be enough for both. And then in due turn, somebody else gives and shares with us. That's the stream that we're living in. St. Basil, he said this, The bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry. The shoes that are mildewing under your bread belong to those who have none. The clothes stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked. The money that depreciates in your treasury belongs to the poor. Those are hard words for us to hear because we say we earn those things. Um, you know, we earn them like we have our hands under a faucet. And God gives them to us. And now we have the question of what we're going to do with it. Give us today our daily bread. Daily in the sense that we get it every day. We need it every day, and that's all we get. Doesn't ask for a lottery ticket. It says, give me my daily bread. Um, there are two ways I've found to learn contentment. One way is to live beside poor people. And you say, wow, all this stuff that I thought I needed to be happy, these folks, they're not even thinking about. Um, I'm not suggesting we don't appreciate and enjoy our pool or our nice car or whatever else. I'm just saying, uh, we dare not think we need those things to survive. Uh, we probably shouldn't even waste God's time praying about our pool unless we got a real good plan for how we're going to share that pool with the, pool with the world. Uh, and maybe we do. Maybe we do, and that's okay. Just a piece of wisdom here. Uh, my wife and I talk about these things. We talk about, let's get a pool. Uh, well, is that good? Is that beyond our daily bread? Well, I'll tell you what. Pool, boat, house, whatever it is, we can have it so long as we're willing to open the door to everybody. So long as when little kids come in with dirty feet, we say, well, go on in there. Have a good time. Maybe rinse them off first, but you still. Uh, so long as they're willing to be shared, you have what you want. But if what you have keeps you from sharing, and in fact says, ah, why don't you come over separate from your kids because they might break something. Perhaps that's something a little bit too important to you. The other way to learn contentment, besides hanging out with folks who have less, and this is the harder one, the other way to learn contentment is to lose something big. Um, maybe your child walks away from God. Maybe you lose a child. Maybe in a relationship that you depend on begins to fall apart. And you say, dear God, I would trade everything I have in the world to fix that. Right? That's another way to learn contentment. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We might pray, help me to get what I'm due. I'm not asking for more than I'm due, I'm asking for what I'm due. Help me to work hard so I can be debt free. Help me to learn personal responsibilities so that I can be financially free and independent. But those who know their daily bread come from, comes from God, uh, those who are content with getting their daily bread and are all the while conspiring to get a whole bunch more, uh, those folks know how to forgive debts. Uh, we look at this and we say, well, is that sin or is that debt? The answer is yes. Jesus, Jesus meant for it to be both. There's a word in Aramaic, koba, that he used, and it meant sin and debt. Because back then they understood that, that those two things aren't far away. Uh, 
I'm not suggesting that every debt is sinful. I am saying every single sin results in a debt that we owe. Uh, a lot of us like to think we don't owe debts. How many of y'all have sinned? If you've sinned, you owe a debt. And you've sinned beyond your capacity to be repay any debt. And I mean that not just in the sense of, um, you know, it's a mark on the, legal count, on the legal docket saying I sinned. I mean that to say when you sin against somebody, your wife, your son, your daughter, your boss, you owe them something. You have taken away and diminished their life and them. And we say, well, let's let bygones be bygones. Why are you, you know, don't get stuck on it. We, I'm saying we owe something beyond our capacity to repay it. That's a debt. And Jesus says, and again, don't get more spiritual than Jesus is. He says, forgive debts. Debts can be, and I'm talking about, yeah, debt, things we owe people. They can be burdens and weights. They can keep us from feeling the freedom to share and be generous. They can keep us from having kids. We say, I'll start having kids when I pay off my debts. Debts have this power to control our lives. I heard about this church that they said, we're going to forgive, we're going to pay off everybody's medical debt. Which sounds like a great idea, especially medical debt, because you say, well, that's not, that's not something you can help. You just... You didn't have insurance, you got sick, and somebody had to pay for it. Um, but what about other debts? This is where we start getting nervous. What about debts that you just got by being irresponsible? Debts you got from being sinful. What are we supposed to do about those? There's this passage in Galatians that you all know, but it's another one we kind of skip by. Brothers and sisters... If a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. But pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted to. Uh, when a person's caught in sin, go to them. Help them, he says. Now the very next verse is the one that we know. The very next verse says, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What burden is he talking about there? He's talking about the sins that they were doing the minute before that you went and helped them with. And now they have a debt. And if we're being honest, sometimes that burden has resulted in them being indentured. Back then, it might be they were indentured slaves. Back then, it might be that they actually owed somebody a physical debt. They weren't free. To, to, they weren't free. You live in my servitude until you paid this off. Um... He's saying, bear one another's burdens, pay their debts. Um, in the Old Testament, debts are forgiven every seven years. Doesn't say debts are forgiven for hardworking folk. Doesn't say debts are forgiven for bad fam good families. It says debts are forgiven. And you get the grace of figuring out what you're going to do with that gift. Those who know that they've sinned and know their debt has been forgiven know how to forgive debts. Um, those who feel like we've earned everything, we did this ourselves. Um, those who are busy praying for a lot more than their daily bread, we don't know how to forgive debts. Because forgiving get debts means I might not be able to get that thing I've been praying for. For if you forgive, and this is the part we're going to jump to verse 14. 
that kind of hard passage. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Those who know how to forgive debts, those who know how to pray for daily bread, and know that every good thing comes from God, know how to forgive. Those who think they've earned their daily bread, don't. Those who don't know how to forgive debts, don't. Uh, there's this passage in C.S. Lewis where this guy makes his way to heaven. Uh, C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. This guy makes his way to heaven. He's sitting just outside the gates, and he has, in the story, you know, it's, it's a fiction, right? So Lewis is trying to help us imagine what it might be like. And outside the gates, there's this guy that he knew who was a murderer uh, in his lifetime. And he shows up, and he's supposed to be there to help him get into heaven. And this gentleman, who was his former employer, his boss, says, look at me now, said the ghost, slapping his chest. But the slap made no noise. I gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, but I don't say I had no faults. Far from it. But I'd done my best all my life, see? I'd done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted to drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job, see? That's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows it. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. And now his acquaintance says, then do, at once, ask for bleeding charity. Everything here is for the asking. Nothing can be bought. That may be well for you. I dare say if they choose to let a bloody murderer, all because he, all because he makes a poor mouth at the last moment, that's their lookout. But I don't see myself going in the same boat with you, see? Why should I? I don't want charity. I'm a decent man. If I had my rights, I'd have been here long ago, and I can tell them I, you can tell them I said so. Don't refuse. You will never get there alone, and I am the one who was sent to help you. I'd rather be damned than go along with you. I came here to get my rights, see? not to go sniveling along on charity, tied onto your apron strings. If they're too fine to have me without you, I'll go home. This is the, that's a gentleman who was living outside the stream of God's grace. There's another person like that in the Bible. You all know the story of the Good Samaritan. Not Good Samaritan, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son goes into a faraway land. He says, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me your inheritance now. He goes to this faraway land. He, he throws away his wealth, everything that's been given to him, lives among the pigs, and says, finally, it's better as a servant. I'm going to go home. I'm going to throw myself at my father's feet. His father, we know the story. His father receives him graciously. My son who is lost is now found. Let's throw a big party for him. But then there's another character in the story. And it's the brother. It's the elder brother. And he says, what's going on? Verse 25 of, of Luke 15. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the slaves, and he asked what was happening. And the slave replied, your father has returned. And your, yeah, I'm sorry, your, your brother has returned. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he got his son back safe and sound. But the older son became angry.